This podcast is created in partnership with The Network. The Hope for Us Network is a lived experience coalition disrupting the highest risk factors for mental health crises. What you're about to hear is the audio version of this podcast. If you want to see the video component, check out our YouTube channel. If you want to tune in live and ask the guests questions in real time, check out our Twitch channel. We're on every other Thursday, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. CST. Both links are in the description below. If you like what I'm doing here and you want to support it, consider buying me a coffee by clicking on the support button. And now, mental health and creativity collide. Hi, I'm your host, Kate. Welcome to Mental Health and Creativity Collide, where we explore everyday creatives. Whether you're a CEO, a chef, a death doula, or a professional actor, mental health and creativity are gifts we all have as humans. This podcast explores how our guests find balance between mental health and creativity. It is a celebration of their stories and an invitation for us to share our own. Here we go. Hey, Kate, how are you? Hey, Dr. Moore. I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Me too. Yeah. Um, so for everybody listening, I'm Kate, she, her, and uh, I have with me the amazing Dr. Moore. I had the privilege of working with Dr. Moore before. Um, she's an amazing writer, an educator, um, somebody who prioritizes creativity and mental health and somebody that I very much look up to. Um, so I'm very excited to have her here today. Dr. Moore, is there anything else you'd like to add to the introduction or anything? Uh, the only thing I would add to that is, uh, yeah. thank you for its incredibly, uh, generous description of me. Um, I'll, I'll send my monthly check to you. Uh, <laughs> here, so, no, I'm kidding. No, thank you very much. And, and I'm glad to, to be here and share space with you. Thank you. The same. Yeah, it's an honor. Um, so I always start the podcast with just a little optional breathing exercise. Um, Dr. Moore, you can feel free to participate or um, or just listen to. Same goes for everybody listening. Um, so uh, just starting in a comfortable seat and probably somewhere you can get a little um, height with your spine. It just allows the lower back and the chest to soften a little there. And uh, you can do the standing too. And then just slowly allowing your inhale to start to inflate the chest. And then on your exhale, slowly letting the chest fall. And just playing with that a bit. Everybody will be at different paces. That's, that's good. That's normal. And seeing if you can let the breath be slow enough that it feels luxurious, but not so slow that it feels hard to breathe. And then once you've found that, See if you can let the inhale and the exhale be the same pace. Great. Now option to add on a little. Um, as you inhale, you can let the chest expand as you have been, but then think about the ribs expanding in all directions as well. So space between each ribs, the breath's going a little deeper, a little wider. And same deal, you're just letting it go at the same pace as your inhale, different for everybody. I'm just going to be quiet for a few moments and allow you to explore that. Notice if you're like me and your shoulders were hunching up. <laughs> See if you can just let them fall. And adding on one more, adding the belly. And the belly works so hard all day to support us, but just allowing it to be soft for a moment. 
And the next time you naturally inhale, the chest will expand, the ribs, and then also the belly. You're just letting that go at the same pace as the inhale. And we'll hold this for just a few more moments. And if possible, see if you can let the mind focus just on the breath. And any thoughts that come in without any judgment, just noticing them and then letting them go off to the side, coming back and focusing on the sensation of the breath. It just helps to calm the brain and the nervous system. I'll be quiet here for just a few more moments and I'll talk you out when we're at time. Great. Now feel free to keep that as long as you like. You can always come back to this later. This will be saved as a recording. Um, Dr. Moore, you just give me a nod when you're ready. You're ready. There's no rush. I, I, no, I'm, I'm ready to go. That's great though. I, you know, awesome. I, I really appreciate, I always appreciate um, the way that you're intentional about things. And in the time that we had a, an opportunity to work together, there were several occasions where you led the group on this similar kind of thing. And it's just like, a quick like sort of grounding and it's uh it's amazing to me how easily i forget to do the very basic thing so thank you so much yeah that will thank you you just made my night i i think it's one of the things i'm trying to grow in most uh or have been trying to grow in most for the past five years is how to be more intentional so mm -hmm. that was i really appreciate that um and I often forget to breathe. So it helps me a lot too. It's like we teach what's hardest for us. Right, like, right. Um, so I always like to open up on the question, do you have an earliest creative memory? Like, or does anything pop into your mind as to a creative moment when you were a child? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I'm the youngest of five kids and there's a roughly five year space between myself and my uh, next oldest sibling. And, uh, you know, we lived in a, a, a tiny house, the, the seven of us with my mom and dad. And uh, I was always trying to carve out a little room because um, there wasn't much. Uh, and as a three or four year old, probably somewhere between three or four, um, we had a family dog who unfortunately passed away. Uh, now, that's not the good part, the creative part. But um, the, the dog left behind this glorious, in my mind, this glorious doghouse. Um, that my father had built for it. So it literally had shingles and siding. And on the inside, there were actually wooden joists, like the whole nine yards. It was like a little, it was literally a little house. And it lived outside right next to the back steps. Like Snoopy. And, yeah. <laughs> like Snoopy. It was, yeah. It was great. And I begged and begged and begged uh, for my parents to let me take that, um, to claim it as my own. And so I did. And I remember very clearly um, along the joists on the inside, I took all my little books. Um, and it's not that I could read necessarily at three or four, but I took all my books and I lined them up really neatly as if it was a library. I think of it now as my own personal lending library. Um, <laughs> and I snagged, my father uh, was kind of a nerd. He was an electrician. And he used to have those little uh, memo pads like in his pocket. And I snagged one of those. Um, and I took it into my lending library 
and what I did was I like I didn't really understand, but I knew that when you went to the library, you had to like sign something. And yeah. It's not that I could sign my name, but I knew that in order to have a book, you had to like have a, a label. Yeah. So I created them for myself. Like that was my first creative thing was literally creating this lending library that I couldn't read, but it was my own. Um, and I remember thinking uh, very clearly that someday I was going to write one of those things. Wow. So, yeah, you, that was, yeah. That's such a cool, uh, both creative story and also just like childhood story. You know what? Like, I think every kid wanted a cool fort like that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yes, I love really that cool. you, yeah, you made it real. Um, I, uh, do you remember what it was that attracted you to the books or you just knew like there was something innate in you that knew you'd be a writer? Um, you know, we didn't have the kind of house, you know, for a variety of reasons where my parents like tucked us in and like read us stories, but because I was the littlest, uh, one of my siblings would invariably, like I would either see them reading or my oldest brother, he was probably the only one who ever read to me. He would read to me. And then when he wasn't reading to me, he just made up stories. He's got a really, he still does, has a very imaginative uh, mind. And he was really into science fiction, which of course I didn't understand, but he could just weave these tales that, that I found fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I somehow understood without knowing that those stories existed on pages. Yeah. Um, and although my parents weren't readers of books, they... Um, still to this day, every morning start by reading the newspaper. They're, they've always subscribed to Chicago sometimes um, and they read it, you know, cover to cover. And so I knew that there was something important and valuable happening on sheets. Um, and so I was drawn to that and then drawn to, I knew it made me feel good, or at least it made me interested. Um, and it seemed to definitely engage my parents because they did it religiously and so I, I wanted to somehow figure out the magic that was happening mm. um, on those sheets that I didn't understand as a little do person. You, do you remember the first story that you wrote? Or do you remember like the progression into that? Um, I don't, I do remember, I don't, I can't tell you the first story I ever wrote, but I, I do remember just pretending to write. Yeah. Um, like again, before I understood like how to make an A or B or C, I knew that there was like a kind of hieroglyphic, what, what appeared to me to be a kind of hieroglyphic. And so again, I would take those sheets that I had stolen, frankly, from my father. <laughs> like I asked, I just borrowed. Um, and I, you know, had some sort of writing utensil because I watched other people do it. I was a good mimic because I had so many older siblings. And I just like basically just swirly lines. But in my head, there was a story unfolding. It yeah. didn't, you know, it didn't show up on paper, but I was telling a kind of story in my head. That's beautiful. I, I, um, I, I constantly am fascinated by the fact that I think so many um, people who continue to um, work the creative muscle, whether it be professionally or not, how early that muscle started to appear, mm -hmm. like, you know, and in whatever specific, you know, love of creativity we have. Um, so, okay. So, so you're growing up, you love stories. Mm -hmm. Um how does that lead to you becoming an educator um, and becoming a writer yourself? I mean, is there, um, I know that's a pretty big arc. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a huge question, but uh, yeah. in terms of becoming a writer, really it was about, um, uh, again, from the earliest age, it felt like magic. And 
I wanted to be a producer of said magic. So yeah. from the time, you know, from, from way back when three or four, I always knew I wanted to like to do something with, with language, with words. And I have to admit that for most of my life, I didn't necessarily think of writing as art. Hmm. Um, you know, I think we had these conversations when I first met you, yeah. you know, like about who's a creative and who isn't. Um, and I'm not sure why, but I've always been really reluctant to like claim that somehow as like a mantle that like I, I'm, I'm a creative. Um, I, I'm more comfortable with it now. Uh, but so I always wanted to, 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 to do, you know, to perform this kind of like magic. And I went through a period where I didn't think that I was capable of it. So, you know, I don't know what's that saying. If those who can't do teach. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the one subject that I was always consistently good in was English. I, I was good in math and science. Overall, I was good in school, but um, the subjects that I, the, the work that I loved was reading literature, mm. thinking about it. I'm very, uh, from the time I was little, I was very introspective. So drawn to literature and that became like sort of a through line in terms of, uh, of my education. Um, uh, although I originally went to college to study engineering. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, which speaks to a whole other side of my personality, which I do have. Um, <laughs> Uh, but well, but this, I don't know. That was going to be, in my mind, creative too, because it was mechanical engineering. I wanted to build things. I think it is. Yeah. What what made you decide to to stay on the literature track as opposed to engineer track? Um, track. Calculus, calculus three. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's that's <laughs> no, not really. I mean, yes, it was calculus three. That was like really really <laughs> difficult. And you know, today if somebody gave me a, a calculus any calculus problem and said solve that for a million dollars, I would stay poor because uh, I don't remember a thing. But um, I think I, I think I ultimately shifted gears because although I could do the thing, I had no passion for it. Yeah. Um, and I had a passion for, for literature. So um, ultimately, you know, I, I got a BA in, um, in teaching English. I was originally supposed to teach high school. Um, and then I started student teaching and it was a horrible, horrible experience. Yeah. I didn't even make it through student teaching. Um, and I ultimately decided, you know what, uh, high school's not for me, so I'm gonna teach college. So that led me to grad school. And I uh, got my master's degree, which ultimately led me to the University of Georgia and uh, got my PhD in African-American Lit, uh, specifically the Harlem Renaissance. And you know that, that launched my career as an academic. Um, but throughout that entire time, you know, I, I was always writing. Um, I just never sent it out anywhere. It was writing that I did for myself, which helped to keep me sane. So, um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I have yeah. a, I have a couple. I have so many thoughts because you're such a many faceted person. You know, there are many beautiful hats. I have. Uh, you mentioned before the hesitancy to call yourself an artist, and I think so many creative people have that feeling. Um, I'm curious, you know, what was it about it for you that hesitancy to, to call yourself an artist? Because when I think of artists, like your face is one of the first people yeah. that come well, to mind. That's very kind of you to say. But um, I've had the same reserve myself, so I'm curious where, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I, think, I, I think in my head, in thinking about like a creative, I think of somebody 
uh, I think of a, a level of professionalism that I suppose I, I never granted myself. Mm. Um, and I also, um, I don't know if this is an internal thing or I suspect it's probably something that's uh, in, heavily influenced by the world that we live in, this like sort of capitalist world we live in, that if you're not making money from a thing, then it's not professional and therefore you're not actually that thing, right? So I was making a living as a writer, um, so I'm not a writer, you know? Um, and it, like I said, it was a long time uh, sort of battling in my own head um, about claiming that. And it's been really recent, to be honest, that I feel relatively comfortable like uh, claiming that label and, you know, embracing a thing that I love um, that I don't have to, it doesn't have to be, you know, how I derive an income in order for me to be creative. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I need that put on a t-shirt. I, I <laughs> for me, it was very similar as well. I, uh, uh, it, it's that, that financial component in a capitalist world. And also the, um, just there's a, I, I think for me anyway, there was a vulnerability to putting myself out there and saying, I'm this thing, even though I don't make money on it. It's like, right. it's almost like, and just adding on to what you're saying, you're inviting judgment in. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, I don't need any more. <laughs> I'm so good at doing that myself. Yes. I don't yes. need that from the outside. And, and you know, um, yeah. it's, it's interesting it's actually sort of comforting to hear, you know, cause I absolutely see you as a creative. The second that I met you, um, you know, on zoom in my mind, I was like, Oh, what an incredibly creative individual. Um, so it's comforting to know that, you know, I'm not alone in that like sort of tension about claiming an identity that really is ours to claim. It really isn't about other people. And, you know, being able to, you know, separate out others' expectations of what it means to be creative um, versus how I see myself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I almost feel like it's um, not almost, I, I do feel like it's a, it's a human right, you know, to be a creative. Right. Uh, it's such a gift of humanity. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to pop up. Let's see. Okay. So we have some uh comments in the chat. I just want to say hi to everybody who's commented so far. Um, great. Um, this is very cool. So um, I just want to mention that we'll have a Q&A uh, at, at 7.30. Um, so if you put questions, like if we're talking about things and you have questions for Dr. Moore, please put them in the chat. We'll answer them at 7.30. Yeah. Um, we did have a really cool story shared, though. Um, Hi, Skramsky. Uh, uh, they said, I remember when I would stay over at my grandparents' house, I started writing my own short comic books when I was five nice. or six, and my grandmother still has them to this oh, day. What a precious artifact. Yeah. Oh. Do you still have any of the like the books without words or any of your art from your grave? No. You know, I, I, I'm I pretty know. sure that the, that the Lending Library went the way of the doghouse as a whole. I, I remember the, the the destruction of it by my father at some point, and I'm pretty oh. sure I didn't get any of the things out of there before that happened. Man. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be it would be cool. It'd be cool to have them. I mean, I I I, I feel blessed that I have the memory because lots of people don't like for whatever reason or reasons 
can't reach back to a certain place and like recall things. And so I, I love the fact that, you know, that I, that I have clearly these memories of being in that doghouse and, you know, having this little carpet remnant and, sometimes I would literally just sit there and like look around the space, just oh, cool. be there and look um, and, and just be in wonder of how the spines lined up. Like, I, I guess that was like the start of my OCT perhaps, <laughs> but you know, the books were all lined up and they had to be perfectly even and, yes. you know, had the height together and, um, but, but I loved being surrounded by that. And, and I still, to this day, just love like walking in a library. Um, I don't, you know, just walking down random aisles without a destination and randomly grabbing things off the shelf is like, that's a, that's a, a great afternoon as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, and like, um, I, I would imagine such a great thing for mental health and to sort of guide it there. Um, do, do you... Um, do you remember when like the words mental health started to mean something to you in your life or has it always had a presence in your world? That's, that's a really interesting question. Um, it's an, uh, I say it's an interesting question because it, it, it's sort of hard for me to separate out, separate out like an awareness of those two words, mental, mental health and like, some meaning behind that and being aware of, of, of very intense feelings that I had. Like it, so it's like yeah. looking, looking back, I can put names on, like I can think of it, of an age and what I was experiencing or feeling or how I was behaving or whatever. And I can put a label on it now that at the time I just knew, like I felt really bad, for example. So, yeah. um, one of my diagnoses is, you know, major depressive disorder. And, you know, I, I think it showed up in my life really, really, really early. Um, like when I was that small, um, I, a lot of that had to do with a profound sense of loneliness. Although there were lots of people in the house, I felt very separate and alone mm -hmm. um, and tried to carve out space to like be alone because there was a lot of noise. Um, and, 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 you know, I jokingly talk about being a navel gazer, um, <laughs> but, I, but I was, I've always been a navel gazer. Like I come, I come by that. Honestly, I, you know, just have always been like sort of in my head. Uh, I didn't have a name for that. Didn't have an understanding for that. I think the first time that like mental health or mental illness or anything like that, was talked about around me that I had an understanding was middle school um, oh. because I was, uh, I, I'm going to generously say I was a precocious child. <laughs> <laughs> Those uh, are my favorite kinds of kids. <laughs> I found myself uh, spending a lot of time in, in middle school in the counselor's office, guidance counselor, <laughs> who was amazing though. She was, she was amazing. And somehow she understood things that I didn't. And, um, and had no no language for and uh i just remember adults talking about me in my presence that i excuse me that i was troubled um <laughs> <You're> like great <laughs> <laughs> and and i remember uh she gave me this poster 
that I kept, I put in my bedroom at home above my bed. And it was all like, basically it was all about, um, it was very colorful and, and they're very famous. And I, for the life of me, can't remember the artist's name, but um, it was all about like loving yourself essentially. Oh, cool. Because somehow this counselor understood that I didn't. Um, so I would say middle school and I, middle school is a tough time for everybody. Oh yeah. It's uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that one again. <laughs> um, I feel like that's actually pretty young and, and pretty amazing that you had this for, may I ask, was that in a public school setting or? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I was born and raised in the South suburbs of Chicago and, uh, Overall, it was a pretty crappy school, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> no, no shade at the teachers necessarily. It's just there weren't a lot of resources. And, you know, part of the reason why I was precocious was that I was bored. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I felt like everything that I learned from K through eighth grade, I had learned by fifth grade. And so I was just bored out of my skull um, and would, you know, act out or, or whatever. But the guidance counselor was... Uh, was amazing. I mean, I um, I saw her not too like maybe five years ago. I looked her up. Uh, oh. and she, she remembered me, and um, but she, you know, she had a big impact on me. I was a I was a really sad kid. Uh, I, by sad, I don't mean like sad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sad as in mental health. Sad. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was a sad kid, and she, you know, she was there for me uh, in really uh, wonderful ways. Yeah, I was lucky in that regard. I think, yeah. Well, especially the, I don't know, for me, I can't think of a woman that I know that talked to me about mental health until I was 25. Mm. Oh, um, wow. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, like, not to, not to discredit the fact that it's in like, you know, a storm of not so amazing. Right. But, the, <laughs> um, uh, but okay. So you're aware and you have this, this positive presence, but then right. where from there, like, how does your journey progress out of dealing with major depressive disorder? Were you diagnosed at that at that young age? Or? No, 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 no. I mean that that's you know that's my, years later would I yeah. would I actually get a diagnosis? I, um, you know, like I said, I was a precocious kid in middle school, and then I got to high school. Um, there, you know, there were lots of things going on for me. One of them was uh, like sort of figuring out my sexuality. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm gay, and I pretty much had those feelings forever. I didn't have a, a name for that and didn't understand, you know, obviously I didn't understand it. Um, I definitely had no role models to like help me understand it or, to, you know, to figure it out. Like I was just like trying to, I, I didn't get it. <laughs> you know, I, I knew that I was different. Um, and I think it was pretty apparent to other people that I was somehow different too. Um, and then I was a naval gazer. I was just a different kid, you know, I, like, I just had a kind of different vibe about me. Uh, which wasn't always great when it came to, um, you know, the people around me, uh, you know, you know, middle school's a cauldron. So people, you know, kids were as kids are and, you know, you know, that kind of thing. High school was, high school was rough. Um, uh, early on in high school, my parents, uh, found out I was outed, uh, by, really? Yeah, I was outed by a parent, and that was not good. Oh. <laughs> um, as a as a freshman, um, you know, uh, you know, as youngsters, we fall hard. I mean, maybe I, I think I still do fall really hard, but I fell really hard as a, as a youngster, and um, 
wrote letters as a as a writer, right? He wrote all sorts of love, <laughs> love letters and had a, had a girlfriend and uh, you know would give her like letters almost daily and oh. beg her not to keep them, right? Like don't keep these things. Oh uh, yeah. She didn't listen to me, of course. Uh, so she kept the letters. And I mean, who who wouldn't? That'd be that'd well, be so hard. Yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But, um, I somehow understood that it would not be good if other people found these. Yeah. Um, and she hid them in like the. It's, it's just it's like a cliche. She hid them in her literally in her underwear drawer. <laughs> and her mother found them one day and collected them. And then delivered them to my mom, oh and my that God. was not good um, yeah. for a variety of reasons. Uh, there was the whole sexuality part, but then I was black. I'm black. The person I was dating was white, and that was a whole thing. It became a whole thing for her mom. And anyway, it was it was not good, um, and that started a really rough patch for me uh, in terms of yeah. uh, in terms of in terms of mental health. I yeah, that was. Uh, very difficult. High school was difficult, uh, and it was really sports um, that saved me. In that I know we were talking a little bit about that when we filmed your creative uh, offering, which we'll share in a little bit. But right. um, so I know when you and were you you were captain of teams in high school as well? Yeah, the softball played, team. And, yeah, I played softball, basketball. Yeah. I was a captain yeah. of both of those, and um, it was. It was it was it was really good to like get out of my own way. Yeah. I could like focus on other people and helping other people be successful and not focus on me. So it got me out of like situation at home was very difficult and complicated. Um, the school environment was kind of difficult in that you know people talked about me or made fun of me. Um, and like the sort of haven was that I was a really good athlete. And so, you know, I could do that and I could feel confident. And I had an arena in which I could be confident. We're um, like, well, I guess I have a two part question. Like, did you have good, solid friends on the team or like a support system? Or was it more just like you showed up and you're like you played and I, I thought I had lifelong friends. Oh, um, that's hard. <laughs> and, and, you know, we we. I thought I had lifelong friends. Uh, you know, we hung out all the time and we, we played summer softball. We played during the summer and traveling league. And um, I remember very, really clearly this conversation with my father, him saying, I know you think those girls are your friends, but they're not. <gasps> and I was so annoyed with him because he, my father is a person who has always kept his own counsel. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, like I can't think of a friend that he's ever had, but, but I don't mean that to say that he's not happy. He's a very happy guy. He just doesn't need that. Yeah. Um, and I do. And, you know, I, I remember getting so angry with him. Like, you didn't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. And we had this huge argument. Um, and then once I graduated from high school, I told them that I was gay. And every single one of them stopped talking to me. <laughs> so oh. he was right. <laughs> Yeah, it was wrong, um, and That's that was so, a hard thing to to deal with. The um, you know, I I feel like rejection to at that young age. It's uh, I um, so I, I grew up in a really conservative arena, and I'm bisexual, and I remember losing those 
that like ring of friends that like drops yeah. off instantly and just stops talking to you. And it's right. just, uh, yeah, the pain of that is still, I still talk about that in therapy. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but, yeah. I, I just remember, you know, some of them, it was okay. It's like, okay, fine. You yeah. Know, um, but the ones that I was closest to, like really, really close to like co-captains or yeah, people, some of the, the girls who had leadership roles like I did, um, we spent so much time together. And I just remember saying to them repeatedly, I am exactly the same person that you knew 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly the same person. And uh, yeah. The, um, and like while you're dealing, um, you know, with the, the sadness, with depression, like through this time, are, are your friends aware of it? Or are you, do you have like a pretty solid mask and not a lot of people know? Um, there were there were two or three people who knew, um, one of whom I'm, I'm still dear, dear friends with going on 40 years now, which is congratulations, 40, 41 years now. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's great. She, she was amazing. And she was probably the person that I, uh, that, that, it, that I was most able to like sort of name what was going on. Um, and it's in, it's in that period, uh, high school where, um, the, the suicidal ideation was very pronounced. And that is something that, um, you know, that I grapple with. Um, that I definitely didn't understand, you know, when I was, uh, uh, was in high school, you know, there's so many things happening hormonally and just like, you're trying to figure out life. Um, and so that on top of it was, yeah, it, high school is hard. It was, that was a hard, hard time. The, um, the thing for me too, I think, especially with suicidal ideation, at least how I've come to think of it, I was like, you don't know that anybody else thinks differently than what's in your own head, especially at that young age. So you're just like, this is normal and I'm dealing with normal. Yeah. Um, does, so, so getting out of high school then was college a refreshing thing or was that like, just a, like, Oh man, everything just tripled. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's college started out. Uh, I originally went to uh, UIC oh, okay. mm -hmm. on a softball scholarship to study engineering and you know things were great uh oddly you know as as a freshman you know usually you're in a dorm or whatever but because i was an athlete and i don't know if it's the same now but when i started they they housed all of us in a complex an apartment complex off campus oh, oh. and we were mixed in with just like regular people it's, so it's not like it was you know like a uic complex it was just a chicago apartment complex Oh man, those poor neighbors. <laughs> exactly. And so you have the softball team, the men and women's basketball team, the hockey team, and the baseball team. And all of us were around this complex. Wow. It was a really bad idea. <laughs> um, you know, to put a bunch of young people with very little guidance um, yeah. alone in these apartments. So uh, I, I joined the softball team and um, in my head, uh, being naive, I honestly believed that I was going to be surrounded by other lesbians. Like I had this like notion yeah. in my head that like lesbians play softball. So, <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to find my people, right? Because in high school that was not the case. And so 
I was so excited, right? I'm going to be surrounded by other lesbians. It's going to be so cool. And then it turns out that the coach at the time, I won't name names, but um, I later found out that he had actually done a kind of purge on the team of the gay people. <gasps> and so there weren't any, there literally were no other gay women on the team except for me. Oh my and God. In my head, I'm thinking, how do you not see the big L on my forehead? Like, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I, I felt like and still feel like there's a stamp right in the middle of my head that like sort of lets you know. This, this is who I am. This yeah. is who I am. Uh, somehow he didn't get that uh, memo. And, and I somehow didn't ask the right questions about him. So I'm on this team. There's no other gay people. And, um, what should have been a really incredibly wonderful time was was a, a, a challenge for other reasons. Um, I lived in a suite with three other uh, women, shared my bedroom with another, and I told them that I was gay. And unlike my high school teammates, they were cool, but cool to the extent that they were convinced that what I really needed was a boy um, wow. to make yeah. me not gay. Wow. So, <laughs> Um, so that Thanks was a, trying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like maybe they're going to get it. Maybe. Um, uh, so th that was its own, you know, sort of challenge of me. You know, I really wanted to fit in. Um, so, you know, part of fitting in, uh, I had been a, I, I wasn't somebody who drank in high school. In fact, I was like always the designated driver. They would get literally get me milk. I love milk still. They'd buy me milk in high school and I would drink milk and then I'd make sure my friends got home. Uh, and in college, I was surrounded by, like, it was partying. Everybody was partying. So if I couldn't fit in, in terms of my sexuality, I was going to fit in by, like, out drinking everybody. And I was um, a, I mean, I was a meathead. <laughs> I was absolutely a, a meathead. And, uh, you know, that probably didn't help me do good in, in Calculus 3. <laughs> So, okay. So getting from there to this amazing person I know who prioritizes mental health and creativity, um, constantly create creative and taking care of themselves, even when it's challenging and, um, and also even teaching others. Um, and, and please tell me if you're like, nope, hold up. None of that's true. Um, but, the, <laughs> but from an outside right, right. perspective, that's how I see you. Um, but uh, just some like questions about like Dr. Moore now. Um, do you like what do you what do you like to do for your mental health? What's like the 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 greatest thing that if you had to pick something to take care of your your inner soul, what would it be? Yeah. <laughs> I love that I, I love that question first of all. So thank you, thanks uh, for asking. Um, if if I have the opportunity, one of the things that absolutely like feeds my spirit and um, sort of stokes the creative fire is to take a road trip. Uh -huh. um, I, I love being on the open road. Um, my life has sort of been, as an adult, I've kind of been a, a rolling stone. Um, I've moved so many times and, um, uh, you know, part of, you know, for, for, for lots of reasons, but part of it is I, I like discovering new places and new people. Um, and 
I also love the all the possibilities of creating a new me when yeah. I go someplace else because people don't know me and I get to start over um, or turn the page, start a new chapter, whatever cliche you want to come up with. So um, <laughs> being being on the open road is definitely something that um, that just like recharges my batteries. But <clears throat> short of the ability to do that, um, I would say uh, it's writing, it's putting pen to paper. Um, very often when I'm I'm struggling in whatever capacity, whether that's with anxiety or I'm, you know, like I'm having sort of a flare up in terms of the depression or I, or the suicidal ideation kicks in. One of the ways that I can start the process of moving through is to write. Um, and I, I'm always, a, I've always been a firm believer that if you sit down uh, I'm old. I'm old school, so I typically have pen and paper, and not necessarily my computer. It feels so good. Um, I, I think um, I will just look at a blank page, and sometimes I just say, you know, what I'm feeling, and if it's like, you know, I, you know, I feel awful. I, if I write that over and over long enough, something else comes through. Um, so it's it's really just the the mechanics of. I I love pens like. Uh, Office Depot and Staples is like, you know, I, I guess for other people going to the mall is like really exciting. But for me, it's, you know, it's going and, and finding new notebooks and getting cool pens. And I love the feel <laughs> of it in my hand. And um, I love the feel of the of the blank page underneath my fingertips and figuring out like where I'm, you know, finding, finding, finding a path out of my head and onto the page. So, yeah, it's definitely writing. That's beautiful. I um, Would you be open to talking a little bit too? Because I, I feel like um, I've had the privilege of being in story circles with you and talking a little bit about um, Contextos and just like what your job is now and how you lead other writers into to doing the same thing, to like taking their internal. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, I was a, uh, I was an academic for a long time and then, and then I uh, did TFA for a couple of years and taught high school and now I'm with Contextos. Um, and I teach just in a different capacity, in a, diff in a different way. Um, Contextos is all about uh, storytelling, you know, from, from the time that humans have, you know, have walked upright, um, we have been about sharing stories with one another. And so in many ways, Contextos is doing a very ancient thing. Um, and part of, part of what we do, we, it's called author circle, but essentially we gather together in a space, whether it's virtual or in person, and, and we commune around language and words and emotions and story. Um, and the story is the stories that we need to tell. Um, even there's stories we need to tell that perhaps initially we're not even aware that we need to tell them, right? Um, you know, all of us, I, I like to equate all of our existences like that drawer in the kitchen that all of us have that you just like put stuff in, right? Yeah. You know, that, that drawer that's, it's usually the one that's closest to the refrigerator and, and it's catch all, everything falls into it. And so as human beings, we are like that. Uh, we're, we're, we are drawers full of stories. Um, and what Contextos attempts to do is to, um, is to facilitate uh, those people who perhaps carry the, the, the heaviest burdens in our in our communities here in Chicago, help them open up that drawer 
and discover the story that needs to be told um, mm -hmm. with the hope of um, supporting them in terms of social emotional in social emotional ways. Um, and we do that through a narrative therapy kind of lens. So it's all about writing their individual stories in hopes that those stories will um, will help them help help the individual process, but will also help others. Um, so, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh no, I was just saying that's so beautiful. Um, and when I got to practice it on myself and also watching it in the authors, it's uh, the I think it brings up two fold, which is something I hadn't thought about. I, I knew it would help tell our stories, which I think it's so important to feel seen. Um, right. and so hard to feel seen in our culture, especially, um, you know, if you're from a capitalist lens, uh, right. if, you're, if you're not in that top, top tier, it's the invisibility. Um, right. But then the other factor is to like rewrite your story for yourself to be like, right. oh, maybe this is my new story. And I, I just think that's so powerful or do you see those two facets of it as well or do you think that's true or oh yeah for sure you know yeah. um uh, contextos originally started down in el salvador and the way that it transitioned here to chicago that the yeah. founder is from chicago was working in el salvador but um you know we were invited she was invited uh to bring contextos into the cook county jail uh to work at division 10 and um uh, we're now on the seventh the seventh circle seventh iteration of circle um, in Cook County and um, it's been a, it's been an amazing journey for Contextus but but you know really for those that we serve um, this opportunity to um, to open up that drawer to to mine themselves and their in their life experience for the stories that they need to tell but also like perhaps look at those look, look at a story that they've been telling themselves over and over again in a different way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, that, that we like to say is that it's really about the process more than the product. And yeah. although the product is really amazingly valuable, you know, we, we print uh, beautiful books that the authors have written. Um, there's always a celebration of that because, you know, there's something very powerful about becoming a published author, but it's really in the process that, the glorious things have the potential of happening. Um, and, you know, I, I'm humbled on a daily basis in circle by, by the power of self, of self-reflection, by the bravery of each and every individual to tell their own stories, to, to like claim them. Um, yeah, that's, it, it's a powerful thing. And, and I get to do it every day for a living. And it's, that's, that's pretty dope. Um, it, it is, I, uh, I, I see you give so much like to your job, like as a teacher, I feel like you really show up, you really prepare, you're very vulnerable. Um, so many, so many pieces of you are given as a gift in the room. Is it hard after doing that to maintain your own mental health and creativity or does it sometimes, um, nourish it? Like, is it, is it one or the other or both? I, I think it's, I think it's both and, um, I, I'm sure. I think, um, <laughs> You know, story begets story, um, mm -hmm. and one of the thing that one of the things that happens in the space is um, we are all equal participants. Like I, I, you know, as a facilitator, I never come into a space thinking that I'm about to teach anybody anything, because I'm going to learn as much from from the individuals present as I am going to to offer um, to any of them. So every time we're in a you know in a space 
we fully participate. So, you know, if we're writing, I'm writing. And if I'm, if, if my hope is to encourage folks to be vulnerable, then I have to be vulnerable. So, um, so I'd say, yes, it helps to generate um, creativity on my, on my own part. And I'll say that there are definitely times that, you know, the reality of life in Chicago, you know, it's a great place, right? I mean, it, it's a great place, but it's also a really complicated, sometimes deadly place too. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes it can feel too much. Um, and uh, I think it's an ongoing process for myself to figure out that balance between giving, which is sort of an, it's just like sort of a natural thing for me and, um, you know, protecting. Uh, and it, it's hard. Uh, I think it's an ongoing, an, an ongoing challenge. And there are definitely times when, you know, things feel too much and it feels impossible that I can get a, you know, that I can come up with a word to write, um, and then I, you know, I, I see in the chat that somebody asked, like, what do you do when you have writer's block? Hmm. Um, I think it's it, it's Kigley says, uh, how do you push through writer's block? And thank and you for the question. Yeah, and, and it's a great question. And, and in those moments, um, I allow myself to sit with the blank page. Hmm. Um, like it can be scary to, you know, to stare at the, you know, at, at all that whiteness. <laughs> Um, and, and, and not have any, you know, and, and feel like you have nothing to put there. But I think it's, you know, for me anyway, um, I try to be brave and allow myself to just be quiet. Um, and often it's in the quiet of like letting my mind be quiet, which is hard, <laughs> allowing it space to like find some quiet, a thought will come. And then the thought begets another thought, begets another. And all of a sudden I've got to, you know, I have a phrase which turns into a sentence, which if I'm lucky becomes a paragraph. Thank you for sharing that. It's, um, you know, that's something we haven't really spoken about on the podcast yet either. Or, and I don't think it's something people talk about a lot. At least I haven't heard it is um, how much your environment really does affect how you function and what you do um, to not feel safe. You know, how, how does one, how does one create, you know, creating, I think is such an open thing and to not yes. feel safe is such a closed thing. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and um, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just no, going to say that about, please. Yeah. about the safety piece. Yeah. You know, we work in uh, Contextless Works uh, in CPS um, and we also work in, you know, we're embedded in a few community organizations and, you know, we, we, we function a lot in the, you know, um, in those in, in neighborhoods that, you know, are are, are facing challenges like re real everyday challenges, and and you know you go into a space with young people, and one of the things that has been universally true in my experience, um, in doing this in doing this job and teaching too. Young people just want to be heard, yeah. you know, like they 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 want us they want a space where what's going on for them is validated, what they're feeling is validated, 
where there's room for them to express what it is that's going on in their heads. And, you know, I'm sometimes frustrated by, you know, as an educator, I, I, I'm going to feel okay, like sort of calling educational system on the carpet. Yeah. To say that I'm I'm frequently frustrated by, you know, the these expectations that, um, you know, a young person can just like block out all the realities of their lives and focus in on, you know, I don't know physics or yeah um, whatever, and, and which isn't to say that young people can't and don't succeed in school, they do. But it's also true at the self-same time that they need spaces to just be mm-hmm. and to use their voices and know that those voices are val- are valued and that somebody is listening, is really listening, is hearing on the other side. And um, I, I try really hard. I tried really hard to do that as an educator traditionally in that traditional sense. Um, and I try to do it whenever I'm in circle as a facilitator, just help co-create a space where people can be and can be in their voice. Um, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful thing when it happens. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I am. Um, and just to name it, I can't do that as a grown ass adult. Like, I can't, <laughs> you know, if I'm, if I'm feeling, even if I have a hard day to like have to go in and focus in a Zoom meeting is right. something that exactly. some days I can't do. So I think, let exactly. alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for bringing that to the table. Um, the, um, so I, we are about to hit. Um, so if you're having comments, thank you. These are really great questions. We're going to get to them in just a moment. Um, I do want to share some of your writing, Dr. Oh, Moore, cool. the one that we use. So Dr. Moore and I got together and filmed um, a, a poem that, that she wrote and it's, it's really vulnerable and amazing. Do you, do you want to any, any, um, uh, introduction for Dr. Moore, or would you rather just play it? Yeah, I'll just uh, I'll just say like really quickly. I'll just say that um, I named this at the beginning of the piece that um, you know on any given day you know you, you never know how you're going to wake up, right? Um, yeah. And one of the things, one of the challenges that I, that I find with my own mental health is I honestly don't know from day to day where my mind will be when I open my eyes. Um, and some days are obviously better than others. And so the piece that I wrote, which came out of uh, an open circle that I lead, where folks get together and you know, uh, we have some prompts and we write and then we share with one another, this grew out of one of those sessions and it happened to be just like one of those days. And I think you'll understand, you know, folks will understand once they hear it. Thank you, Dr. Moore. Um, Scott, whenever you're ready, if you'd share the video, please. I wrote this piece on Friday, June 4th of 2021, though really I could have written it on any given day in any given year. I woke up today with much the same spirit as I have for too many days in a row to matter. My waking up is a faint echo of my going to sleep, which is fitful when it happens and soul-defeating when it eludes hiding behind one of the four pillows on the bed or nestled underneath one of my ugly dolls that linger on the unused side of things, variously serving as reminders of what has been lost. One orange doll whose black string mouth has come undone was a gift I gave my now deceased partner, which she apparently laid her head upon for the last time in the passenger seat of her 64 Corvair. 
and they are a teasing reminder of a playfulness I perhaps will never again know. Anyway, I woke up today wishing the day wouldn't start, wishing the sun would hold in place and that the planet would stop rotating on its axis. For if I could just be fixed in space, fixed in time, in mind, I could figure out all the things, what I am doing, what I need to be doing, where I want to be, who I want to be. I woke up today, and for the first time in some time, I wished I hadn't. Not because I was actively suicidal, not because I have devised a plan for the ninth time, the twelfth. No, I woke up today and thought, I need peace, and ceasing to be would provide that. My mind could use some quiet. My heart could use something, anything, anyone. I woke up today and thought, it is all too much. And then I took a shower. I fed the animals. I walked my dog. I went to Roseland where I facilitate a circle for black women. And I painted and planned and talked and listened. I texted with former students. I FaceTimed with my folks to explain where the snap device must be installed in their cars, only to realize what I already knew, which is that that will happen on my weekly Saturday visits and help them when I help them navigate senior citizens' drivers' boot camp for eight hours online, which leaves me wondering, who in the world thinks septuagenarians and older on a computer for that long is a good idea or will work? I smiled. I laughed. I was present. I did, and I did, and I did some more, and here is my current truth. I woke up this morning and thought, it is all too much. And then, well, then, it wasn't. Thank you so much, Dr. Moore. It's weird to hear. It's so hard. I, I still have a very hard time hearing myself and watching myself. It's uh, it feels a little matrixy, and yeah. it's I don't know. I, mean, it's, I, uh, I always find too, I can tell what kind of mental health mood I'm in if I'm like being kind to myself if I'm rewatching myself do something or if I'm judging every little thing. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I I love that poem so much. So I've had the privilege of being able to listen to it as I've um been playing with the the editing of it and um i uh man i love because because i think it it sounds like my heart does sometimes you know it's got like it's the reality of that waking up and just needing peace and right. knowing what would bring that the uh i love the line my heart could use something and like, oh that like feels that resonates so deeply and then I, you know i woke up and uh, I'm bastardizing it a bit, but I woke up and it was all too much. And then, yeah. but then it wasn't. And I just like that reminder of like, oh yeah. And then it changes. Um, yeah. I just, I think it's very real, but also very hopeful. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. <laughs> like a really hard thing to do. Um, is there anything about it? Like, would you be willing to share a little bit about the story of the poem or? Um, yeah, you know, um, yeah. there's a, <laughs> There's a there's a lot of stuff uh, woven into woven into that into that short piece, um, you know. There, there's a line in there where I where I say is it for the ninth time that I've made a plan of the twelfth, yeah. And that's you know that's a you know pretty accurate um, reflection of what my what my you know what my life has been like essentially since you know since high school, and there. 
you know, have been at least five like really serious attempts. Um, and uh, so I, I always imagined in my head that like I never, ever thought that I would like 55. If you had told me when I was 18 that I would be alive at 55, I would have laughed in your face. There's like no way that would be. And so that in of itself is like sort of miraculous to me. And it's also, um, it's also hard because the person that I mentioned in the poem who uh, has the 64 Corvair, uh, she was my partner and we were together for uh, almost a decade and she committed suicide in that car um, while I was here in Chicago and she was um, back uh, in our house in, in Vegas. And, um, you know, part of what I think drew us together is that we saw, like when we met, we, we, we actually saw each other and without ever really having a conversation early on, I think we sort of understood this, um, this crack that we shared, you know, we had, we had similar cracks um, <clears throat> and uh, it drew us together. And I think in, in, in many ways we sort of helped, we, we sort of helped shore up those cracks from one another. But it, it was always my understanding that if one of us was going to go in that way, it was absolutely going to be me. And so, you know, it, it, it wasn't. And, um, you know, I, even though it's been a, it's been a decade now, um, it's still very, it's, it's just really, really difficult to, you know, sort of, to, to sit with, like, obviously it's a reality, but it's, it's just really complicated. Um, yeah. And so this, this piece, um, you know, there are days when, when I wake up and like what I imagined was happening for her, it feels, it's just too much. And it was clear that she was seeking peace. And I have thought about peace so many times and in part, I wrote the piece so that it exists in the universe, so that on those mornings when I wake up and it is too much, if I don't have the wherewithal to get to the place of remembering that it gets better, there's this tangible thing that it does um, that I can turn to. So That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah, I, I also love it because I do think... Um, you know, when I've had near suicidal points anyway, uh, friends would be like, oh, I'm sorry you felt that lonely. I'm like, you know what? It's really, for me anyway, it's not a feeling of loneliness. It's a feeling of too muchness. Mm. It's that, and uh, you know, and I mean, like, obviously it, it it's important not to feel alone, but it's never the reason, right, for yeah. me. Um, and it's that, yeah, you just, you put it like my heart sounds, you know, it's the, it's too much. Um, yeah. But I, I find that poem very inspiring and we'll use it for grounding also. So thank you for putting it out there into the world. Um, I appreciate is it, it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look at some of the comments. Let's okay. see. Thanks everybody for the questions. Really appreciate it. Um, so let's, here we go. All right. Yeah. If any of these pop out. Oh. Yeah. That's a, um, which Thank one? you. 
I'm sorry, what's one creative venture that you've always wanted to try, but never had the chance, time, or money? Cool. Good question. Yeah. That is a great question. Um, that's a great question. Um, I would say it's to write a play. Um, you know, I, I love I love the theater. I love going to the theater. I, I love everything about the experience. Um, uh, and it, I'll say two things, actually. It's to write a play, but I also think it would be really cool to be in a play. Um, we can make that happen, Dr. Moore. Well, <laughs> and what's funny about both, actually about everything about my career path even, is that um, I'm terminally shy and uh, like really nervous in social situations. And yet I keep putting myself like agreeing to do this podcast um, into these like very like sort of social situations that, you know, on, on the one hand, make me really nervous. Um, but yeah, I would, I would love to be able to carve out time and space to, you know, to, to craft a play. Um, it'd be really cool. Like I, you know, I know nothing about direct theater direction, anything like that, but it would be really cool to like see my words somehow be performed. Um, that would, that would just be incredible. And the other thing that popped in my head is, um, I would love to go on a, like a, a, a writing retreat. I've never been on one. Um, and, and one like for a long time, <laughs> you know, like a, like a four month retreat or something or a six month retreat where, um, I'm not worried about my bills back home and I can just sort of do the thing. Um, there is my memoir that, uh, that I've been working on what seems like forever. And, um, I'm trying, I, I am, you know, you and I talked about this I'm I'm trying really hard to figure out a way, uh, to give myself a six month window away from Chicago, away from here. I want to go to the desert in the Southwest, um, uh, hopefully Santa Fe and just like do the thing that I've been dreaming about doing since I was three. So hopefully that'll happen. I appreciate that question. Maybe it's, you know, maybe that question is the universe's way of saying, Hey lady, pay attention. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of like really supportive um, things too. Ooh, how do you get into the creative mood? Let mood like listen to music or stuff like that. Great question. Thank you. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, creative mood. Um, I love music. Um, I love to sing at the top of my voice. Uh, <laughs> I have a horrible voice. I can't get, carry a tune. Um, and and uh, uh, I'm really bad at at uh, like figuring out lines. So I just make up lines. Like. <laughs> what sounds like something. And uh, so I love to sing. Um, and so sometimes I'll just like turn on, you know, like, I don't know if anybody even remembers Luscious Jackson. You ever heard of Luscious Jackson? No, I'm, right, I like the name. I'm writing it down. Okay, write that down. <laughs> We're putting those it in the you, show notes. Those of you in the, in the chat, write down Luscious Jackson. <laughs> um, you know, I was driving home uh, for my parents, visiting my parents this past Saturday. And I just went to Spotify and found them and like, just you know, I had the windows down on the highway and I was just blasting their music. And then when I got home, it was time to host a circle and write. And it was great. I, I the writing turned out to be like really fruitful that day. Um, so music definitely um, is a way to like, you know, to like just generate like energy to write. 
and then there are times when like so like really upbeat kind of music i suppose but then there are times when um i read in order to write uh, i love reading uh, i've always been an avid reader and so you know uh you really can't tell but behind me somewhere over there is part you know it's part of my library and um i'll just randomly pick a book off the shelf and sit down and read like I'll, I'll give myself a time like, okay, you're going to read for 15 minutes and just randomly pick whatever book and read. Um, it doesn't, I don't start at the beginning. I randomly open it up and start reading. Um, and invariably some thoughts come to my mind and I'll start writing out of that. Cool. I love that. Um, I like the, um, do you ever spontaneously dance also to music? I know sometimes if I get stuck, uh, I like to get up and just like move if nobody's around, I like to do it on my own. <laughs> I'm not much of a dancer. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think I, I only dance with my shoulders. So I'm really oh, good yeah. in my chair. I'm not so good <laughs> at getting you know, my upper and lower body to do similar things. So um, <laughs> it's definitely not, a, not, not my jam. <laughs> um, let's see. I love this. We already asked that one. Very cool. Oh, this is cool. That's what I was thinking. Thanks, network, by the way. You're killing it. Everybody, like, big applause to the network. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's see. Um, Any advice for someone looking to get back into writing after a long stint without trying? Just feels almost impossible to find voice on paper lately when I try. Ah, well, that gives me an opportunity to shout out Open Circle. Um, <laughs> um, but I will shout out Open Circle, but also like please things. do. <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, that happens three times a week um, that I am part of this group we call ourselves the Naval Gazers um, <laughs> because you know we're kind of nerdy and we, we spend a lot of time in our heads and we like to write. Um, we get together. There's like no commitment whatsoever. Like people can drop in once, so they can drop in every single time. Uh, but we get together three times a week. Typically, it's Tuesdays, Fridays, and Saturday. Um, and, uh, I come up with a greeting and usually the greeting is connected to whatever, like sort of theme, um, uh, that we're going to pursue that day. And then I, um, I come up with like two or three, uh, quotes connected to that theme. And we use those as like jumping off points. I call them caterpillars, um, use them as jumping off points to write. Uh, we typically write from no less than seven minutes and usually no more than about 20. And then we share with one another. So that's one thing. And like, that's just a thing that we're doing, but there, there are opportunities out there where you can join folks, particularly after uh, uh, with the pandemic, there are lots of things happening online, lots of opportunities to like write together. But if you want to do it on your own, um, you know, that that second half of your question says, it just feels almost impossible to find my voice on paper. Yeah, that's, you know, that's real. Um, sometimes it's fun to just like play, like play games with yourself. Like, um, like tell yourself, like, like just create in your head, like I'm going to write from the perspective of somebody completely different from myself and just allow yourself the, the opportunity to just be playful. And sometimes in that playing, you'll stumble across something like there's some kernel that will come out and you're like, Oh, okay. I can latch on to that. And it's something that you can carry into a piece that you actually really want to, you know, want to work on. But sometimes playing games, like I play all kinds of games. Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll randomly open up the dictionary. I've done this for years 
and just <laughs> the pages and just like find a word. And then I'll tell myself, okay, I'm going to write something that's going to include that word. And that will take me off into a whole adventure based upon whatever <laughs> like ridiculous word, you know, like if it was aardvark, I happened to pick the first word in the dictionary. It's aardvark. Then like, I got to write a story and somehow there's an aardvark in it, or at least somebody's saying aardvark. Um, <laughs> but it's great. It, you know, it's playful. It's fun. It's not serious. I think, you know, um, I forget who, who, who wrote it. it in my head, it's Stephen King. It could be Stephen King. Um, but somebody said, some writer, famous writer said, um, don't come lightly to the blank page. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Stephen King. And I would argue that there are plenty of times where that's exactly what you need to do. It's, you know, like I understand what he means, that like there's a there's a thoughtfulness, a thoughtfulness about writing. Like I get that and I agree. I think there's also plenty of room and there should be for, for playfulness. Um, just play, like pick a random word, look on your shelf, pick a title. Um, one of an exercise that we did um, in, in our writing circle was to pick a book and just randomly and take the opening line and then you write what follows. Like oh, so cool. nothing to do with what that book is necessarily, but you take somebody else's opening line and then you just play with it and create your own story. And you are, yeah, I'm sorry. No, please. I, they're all so good. I was just going to encourage you to keep talking. Please, <laughs> no, 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 no. please say what you were about to say. Please. No, no, I was just going to say that that, yeah. that I, I think invariably in the play comes something of value. And, and the something of value might just be a phrase and that's okay. You start from a phrase and, um, you know, the phrase will eventually lead you to a whole sentence. And the next thing you know, you got a whole page. Um, so uh, I'm almost positive Stephen King who said that. And I, and I love Stephen King and appreciate his, you know, his craft, but he's wrong in that there are times he's wrong in that there are times to have fun. Yeah, man, I, I'm excited to try all those. That's very cool. Um, if somebody was interested in joining the Naval Gazers, how would, how would they find you? Uh, that is a great question. <laughs> I'm going to say this. The, easy, the easiest thing to do is to contact me. Um, mm -hmm. And my email is, uh, uh, should I put it in the chat or will you do if, it? If it's you the, put it in the private chat, then, uh, or or actually, you know what? It, it's just the one that I that you use through Contextos. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I got it. Let's. So okay. I'm going to do that and then we can go to the next question. Yeah. If, if there's anybody who's, who's interested in joining that, if you email me, I will send you, uh, we meet over Zoom. I'll send you the Zoom link. Um, and, uh, we usually don't shift because, because one of the things that's true about the circle is we all know each other. And so like, if people are like, Oh, there's a couple of teachers, you know, the day was really hard. I can't meet today. We sometimes shift times. Um, but the day that we generally don't shift is Tuesday. Um, it's almost always Tuesday evening at eight o'clock central time. And then we meet Friday at eight o'clock central time. And then we meet Saturday at five o'clock in the afternoon central time. Uh, and, uh, but if you email me, I'm happy to like give you the link and, um, and also share whatever resources I have about other opportunities to write with folks. Thanks, Dr. Moore. And yeah. I'll, um, I'll include that in the, in the show notes too, for, if you're listening later. Um, but thank you. And then thank you, hope for the, or thank you, hope for us network for sharing that. Um, there's also just some really lovely comments, Dr. Moore. I'm not sure if you've seen them of affirmation of like, Dr. Moore, thank you for sharing this really powerful poem. Wow, that was incredible. Um, I'm so glad you're alive. 
I've been there. You're a driving force to be reckoned with, Dr. Moore. There's yeah. just like some really amazing. Uh, uh, so um, yes, oh, and this is great advice. Thank you, Dr. Moore. So thank you for the advice Very that cool. you just gave. Yeah. Um, all right, great. So it looks like, I don't think we've missed any questions, but if we have, please pop them in the chat. Or if, if you have other questions for Dr. Moore, please, please throw them in there. Um, I have a few questions of my oh, yeah. own that we'll go into. <laughs> um, thanks everybody for being so, uh, so great with your questions. Those were lovely. Um, so you recently shared with me a piece that you made um, using photographs throughout your mm -hmm. life. Um, and I just was really moved by it. Um, do you mind if, I, if if we bring it up and talk about it a little bit? Yeah, sure. That's great. Okay. Uh, network, would you mind just to put the photo in the... Thank you so much. Um, so, Dr. Moore, would you kind of talk us through what we're looking at and maybe like the various photographs? That that makes me really... It actually makes me really happy to see that on the screen. Um, <laughs> all of those pictures, like the, the central figure and all those uh, pictures is my mom. Uh, Dorothy May, um, or Dot, as her uh, family in Tanchpaho, Louisiana, would say. Um, this this piece grew out of. Um, there's a circle that's that we're actually wrapping up this program right now, um, in Roseland for the women of Roseland Rosemore, and uh, we had the the real privilege of having aboard um, an art therapist, uh, Naima Thomas. Um, who, which is not something that we normally do in author circles. So this was like a new sort of a new um, venture, um, and it turned out to be really cool. Um, so that one of the way, you know, there, there are so many ways to tell stories, and it isn't all just on you know on, on words stacked upon words, but um, it can be you know you can tell a story through images, you can um, you can tell the story through the through the absence of color. Um, against a colored background. I mean, there's just so many different, you know, forms that story can take. So, you know, we were sort of guided in this process of, um, you know, using paint and canvas and collaging and all kinds of things. And um, as I said at the beginning, you know, it was a long time before I could think of myself as like a creative. And when I do, it's definitely, you know, connected to language. And so here was this opportunity to play with, you know, with paint, <laughs> you know, thing that I, you know, that I don't do, although my partner, Pam, um, uh, who died, she was a professional artist. And, you know, we sort of joked that that was like her bailiwick. Like I was, she was a very quiet person. So I was the wordy person and she was like the image person. Um, and, you know, she, when she was alive and in my life, she really helped me like to see in color. I, I think, I feel like I spent most of my life before I met her in black and white and she helped me to see color. And so when oh. I was doing this piece about my mom, about like her presence in my life and in the family, um, color just like sort of, uh, I don't know. I just thought of my mom in color. Uh, so the frame of the, of the piece the the outline is in black, uh, to sort of represent her uh, black womanhood. And then there's just like random, really random colors um, spread throughout the inside. And uh, there's a picture that I'm not really sure people can see what it is, but in the very center of it, it's my mom uh, dressed in her best uh, Laura Petri 
for those of you who are really old like myself and know of the of the of the Dick Van Dyke show. But um, <laughs> those are Mary Tyler Moore pants. Uh, those three <laughs> pants there, and it's my mom walking down the driveway of my childhood home uh, with their hands behind her, and I just I imagine. Um, her being very contemplative. I mean, it, that strikes me a very contemplative pose. Mm. Um, and given the way her life is, with, you know, these kids and um, in this little house and trying to like figure out how to take care of us all, I'm not sure she had a whole lot of time to be contemplative. And so I love this picture of her and I put it at the center um, because I think that at her core, she was, she is this a complicated woman that the rest of us only got glimpses of. Um, and that's because her life was dominated by all those other things around, which is uh, the one that's sort of like off to the side there. She's got like a white top on and big white earrings. She's pregnant with my oldest brother. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she had four children really quickly in a row. None of them are more than 13 months apart. Um, That's amazing. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And this is for yeah. women who never wanted to have children. Right. And then, you know, there was a kind of break. And then I came along absolutely positively at accident. And, um, you know, that's a lot. And so part of what, you know, Kate and I, you and I talked about the other day is I, I can't imagine what what it is to live a life you never intended to live and yeah. do it so well yeah <laughs> like that's right you know <laughs> you know she she graduated high school my my father never finished eighth grade and you know they're both born in the deep south my dad is 93 years old so you know he was born right at the the great depression and she wow. was born a decade later it, it, both in the deep south, so in the very deep Jim Crow, segregated, racist south. Uh, my mom is a child of sharecroppers. My dad was basically orphaned by the time he was one. And somehow, you know, they somehow they made their separate ways to Chicago, um, met at the at the main post office there that spans across um, uh, Ida B. Wells Drive and yeah. had all these kids and sent us all to college. And um, it's pretty astonishing. Um, and so I, I mean, I, I mean this piece to be sort of a, an honoring of her and a, and a recognition. The reason why, again, I linger on that piece in the center is a, a recognition of all the ways in which she had to sublimate herself in order for the rest of us to survive and flourish. Um, so, yeah. It's um, yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing it. The um, I uh, oh, there's a comment. I love this. And <laughs> you do, yeah. Um, may I ask you about when you showed it to her? Is that something that you mind my asking about? Or yeah. Um, I you know again I you know I'm I'm no artist and you know I I'm certainly not gonna gonna sit on the call and suggest that like this is like a great piece of art, but. Um, it is it is one that was made with um, a, as much care as I could put into it um, and as much um, respect and love as I could. And so 
I was excited to share this with her. And I had written, um, I had written like a little piece to like sort of go along with it about like its origins and what I was attempting to say. And uh, it, it landed with a thud. <laughs> you know, um, I, you know I, 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 I was hopeful that, I don't know, I was hopeful that my words would soar and that, you know, I don't know, that somehow all the things that were in my head um, that I was trying to convey would be conveyed. And, you know, one of the things that's true about being an artist is once you let it go, it's gone and you cannot control how it's received. Um, and uh, it, it I, I'm not going to lie. That was, it, it was hard. Um, Cause I wanted her to be like, just really happy. Yeah. And she wasn't. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think so many of us have been in those, like have been in those shoes. I, uh, I know I've definitely shared pieces of art that to me, I was like, this is my soul right. and I've made this for you. And like, here you are. And they're like, I don't get it. Like, right. I don't, like, we're right. um, like, oh, that's nice. And then it, like, right. I find it in the, in the trash bin, like a couple right. days later. And you're like, oh, um, and especially when it's your parents and right. it's hard to be vulnerable. At least I, I think for most of us, it's hard to be vulnerable in general, but especially with parents. Um, but I love that you, that you showed it to her anyway. Uh, but I don't know. Did you have to do anything after that to like cleanse the creative palette or was there? Um, well, you know what? Um, I, I took the piece that I had written and I think the, the last line was something like, was something to the effect of, I hope that my hope is that the love and respect um, I feel in my heart is present on in, in, in is present in paint and canvas or something like that. Yeah. And after that experience and like the way that it didn't go over, um, I added to it. <laughs> and what I added to it was literally like the next line is, it wasn't. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and then I, and then I wrote about like sort of that experience. Um, and um, ultimately I concluded that in order to know me, you have to hear me like that's, I mean, I, maybe that's wrong. I don't know, but in my head, that's how I feel. Um, that's beautiful. The, the best, um, that reflection, the, the most transparent really, I suppose that I am is on pay is on paper. Hmm. Um, I'm I've over the years become really, really good at, you know, giving people what I think they want in terms of the masks that I wear. And I, and I tend to have far less artifice on the page. Um, and so I finished that piece, what I added to it by saying, um, if they can't hear me, if she can't hear me, she doesn't know me. And, yeah. and that just makes me sad. Um, I don't know. I am. Um... There's a there's a quote, but it's a Soren Kierkegaard quote. But it's once you label me, you negate me. Mm. Um, okay. And I think sometimes we like do that with various types of creativity. Even it's like this: oh, you're that, and then I can only see you 
uh, or judge you by the standard that I know, um, right. as opposed to like being taught how to like empathize and see one another right. w- within, you know, how we're trying to communicate. Um, but that, what you were saying made me think a little bit of like, maybe like to, to hear you is to know you. Is that right? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah essentially. It's, uh, yeah. And I, but I, I love that. And I, it, but it is interesting. It's like, it's almost like a, like maybe we bury ourselves behind labels too. And like we grow and like, and like find ways to kind of like peek out you right. know? And it's like the muscle of like sharing ourselves through certain mediums. Um, you know, what, yeah. what you, what you, what you just mentioned there about, you know, we label ourselves too. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. And like in, in the process of those labels, you know, maybe it feels like an empowering, like, you know, identity marker for us, but really it, in some ways it traps us in, in some place. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, yeah. It's just interesting how, like how society can do that, but all the ways in which we play into that game because we do it, we do it on our own. Oh yeah. Um, and it, I'm going to, I'm going to turn the tables for just one second. Do it, please. Um, like what is the, what is the, what is the, trying to think of the word what is the the position in which you are most transparent like for me it's on the page yeah and for you what would that be for me well it's weird for me because it's um it's the it's the stage like to to see me is to watch me oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, or film or i can i can express myself through the emotions of others oh, um, yeah i know <laughs> but i am learning and this even i i think I'm coming into a sort of even solidity now that I, I I think I've been trying to find for the past year and a half as we've been, I've been more isolated is, um, and not doing that as much is um, I negate myself all the time through that, (laughs) you know, because it is something too that um, most of the time with performative things, it's um, you don't get the opportunity to do it in isolation. I mean, I still do, but it's not the same. And then, uh, it's a world of rejection. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your self-esteem has to be pretty high. Right. And if that's the only place I'm sharing myself, then oof, you know, <laughs> like, <ooh. laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I also, I've realized it's kept me from exploring other mediums sometimes too. Like over the past couple of years, I've, I've learned the ukulele or, um, which is so cool. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. But I've I've loved it for longer than that. And I was always scared to do it because I was bad at it when I started, right? Like truly bad. Um, right. So, uh, And then fell in love. And now I do, I'm trying intentionally to always some, have something like that. Something That's that true. I'm like, not the best at or not trying to make money at because I do okay. know like as a gig worker, I'm like, how can I monetize this now? <laughs> because it's a, because of survival, not because like I, if I could just like I loved your your what you just said like what you said a little bit ago about four months just let me go make something right. and then you know um, but thank you what a great what a great question thank you for asking me um, I'm, I'm fascinated by by that answer that you're you're most yourself on stage because in my head I would think that you would be the least yourself on stage but I love <laughs> what you said but but it's really powerful what you said that you can you can express all of those things that you feel through the lens of somebody else and so it allows through, through a character so it allows you to be safe yeah. but also transparent that's really that's deep stuff thanks for helping me get there this is why i love you <laughs> <laughs> my 
coming out of. Um, thank it's you. Really powerful. Well, and it's funny too. Like you know, you realize. Um, I I think of myself as perhaps a more vulnerable person than the average bear, but in reality, it's like that's the scariest moment. Like I I get I'm nervous every time I do this podcast. Uh, yeah. I think I shared it with you or public speaking is a nightmare, you know, (laughs) Um, but it's so nice to discover things like this with people like you and the people in the chat, you know, that are in this like safe space and to find new ways to be brave and learn about ourselves. And and also the irony, and I, and I see that it's a shared irony Mm -hmm. of like doing a thing that forces you to like, cause you're an introvert like myself. Yeah. And so doing a thing that forces you to expressly not be an introvert, it's it, like, why would we choose that? Like, it's, yeah. it's really my, interesting. My therapist asked me that all the time. She's like, why do you do it? I was like, well, I love it. And she's right. like, but why? Like, right. you, your, your right. body is literally betraying you. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's a, why do you do it? Why do you like to do it? Um, uh once I get going, it's very freeing. Like yeah. you, um, and this was true when I was in the classroom space, every single solitary day before I walked into a classroom, I thought I was going to get sick. To, like I was going to get sick. I thought I was going to throw up. And there were times in which I did. And then yeah, as soon as I told a joke, and it's typically like a self-deprecating kind of joke, but as soon as people laughed or smiled, I'm like, okay, yeah, I got this, you know, and then, you know, and then, and then the juices get going and, you know, and it's all good, but the sort of lead up, the anticipation of can be excruciating, really. Yeah, I am. Do you get the high a bit afterwards? Like after this, I'm like, I'm going to feel great after this. I I might sit down and write something, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, please. I would, I would love that. Um, I did want to write, there's a really interesting uh, comment in the chat. It's um, Pegelman. Oh, thank you, network. I totally feel you on this idea of labeling turning into restricting. There's some really cool research around framing effects and entrepreneurship and innovation that tracks how defining a thing ends up making it hard to explore what that Mm. thing could be. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Elevating that. Yes. And I, 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 don't mean to share information out of turn, but I know this person knows what they're talking about with regards to this. So thank you for sharing. This is very cool. <laughs> um, if you have any resources or things that you want to share with us or it would be supportive to, like, please throw them in the chat. Um, but this this in and of itself is very cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that's so, that re- that's so real. Um, like what a thing could be, like what we could be, you know, even and and what, how we function as a society if if we got out of our own way yeah if we didn't label so much that's yeah if we didn't label so much if we um if we if we didn't label so much which then creates expectation which then yeah can become limiting um and then for me you know uh again i'm not going to remember who said the quote i should but um The quote we don't about, need to label it. We right. <laughs> yeah. the, the quote about um, uh, we are, it's not so much that we're afraid, it's not so much that we're afraid to fail, but that we're afraid to succeed, like the like all the things that go along with that. And, and, and that's definitely um, 
has always been a thing for me. Um, it's sometimes I stop myself from trying because not so much in my, in my head, I say, Oh, it's because you know what, you know, what if somebody doesn't like it or whatever, but really I think it's because what if, what if they did, <laughs> you know, because if they did, then that flies in the face of like all the, like, you know, all the things I carry and I have carried throughout my life that are, you know, this, you know, the, all the counter narratives in my head about, you know, who I am, what I'm capable of and, you know, and so forth. It's a, that's definitely it's, a tension. It's, um, it's hard to be happy too. Yeah. I think so. I think, um, and, and I think for so long, I thought that that was the goal as well, which makes success at anything triply scary, you know, like if, which, which is, I, I think why too, sometimes I've had my most oppressed moments when I was like doing a great job, like, right, right. Quote unquote. Um, you know, um, you get to that thing and, and you still are dealing with so much and, right. and you've achieved the thing. Uh, and it's, I think then that just brings about, then you have to look inward and that's really hard. Right. Um, the yeah. looking inward for sure. Yeah. Which is, which is one of the challenges of memoir writing. Um, you know, yeah. like, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely, um, I can, I can write fiction and I have written fiction, but like certainly where my headspace is now, it's, it's really about memoir or at least creative nonfiction. Um, and, uh, you know, in order to do that, you really, you know, you've got to be willing to like look in the mirror. Uh, and, you know, I try really hard never to do that, but and not just to like look in the mirror, but to like sit with yourself in that space. And um, I think that that one of the like, and, and I think I said this earlier, one of the really humbling things about running circles is like just watching the sheer bravery of people to like, to go deep and to open up and to be, and to lay themselves bare for their own benefit. Right. Um, but also so that we might grow from it as well. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Thank you. You said that perfectly. Um, I love, it looks like um, Pegelman shared a, uh, a paper with, ooh, I'm so sorry, I forgot. You can't add links. You don't have the power here. <laughs> but the, yeah. um, so it's about how online rumor communities can affect product development before the product has even hit the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, if, uh, if Pegelman, you would feel comfortable at any point emailing me that, I can add it into the show notes after um after this closes and so if you're listening to this post um or if you want to come find it later um actually if network if you wouldn't mind sharing the anchor site and the youtube site um so once this chat closes in a few days this chat will be up on uh on anchor and oh, also yeah and then um, the network also posted on youtube as well so if you want to share it with friends or find show notes afterwards you can check that out thank you uh hope for us network yeah, um yeah. Um, and thank you for sharing, uh, Pegelman. Um, so, uh, yeah, there was, um, oh, I, I did still want to ask you, do you have any, uh, any mentors or heroes, be it mental health or creatively, anybody that, or both, um, anybody that when you think of, you're like, this is a person that inspires me, um, that I think of as a, a hero or a mentor. 
Yeah. Um, wow. Um, I know, and there could be many too. I know, I or or none. I, 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 you know. uh, I can come up with, with two, just sort of like off the top of my head, in terms of great, in terms of creativity. <clears throat> um, one of them, I don't, and I I don't remember her name, but she literally changed the course of my life. Um, as I said, I went to UIC, and then yeah. um, I got hurt playing softball. They took away my scholarship because at the time, women's athletic scholarships were not guaranteed, and so. They're like, you can still play, but we're not paying for you. So Ugh. I was like a, 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 you know, a precocious young adult <laughs> and uh, told them to go pound sand and drop yeah. the pool. Um, Good for you. And it was like, like sort of working and living. And I had this really, really crappy apartment, but it was mine um, out in Chicago Heights. And I had a crappy car that was like rusted out, but it was mine. Um, and I school was the last thing in my mind. I wasn't going back. And, you know, I was playing sports. I was uh, dating, dating girls. Yeah, I was having, you know, absolutely my best life, or at least I thought so. Um, and, but I still played softball on a traveling team. And the coach at the time um, was like, you got to get back to school. And I wasn't listening to my parents. In fact, I stopped talking to my parents for a couple of years at that point. Yeah. Like, I just wasn't doing it. I wasn't feeling it. I don't want to, I don't want anybody telling me nothing. I was really feeling myself. Yeah. And, uh, the, the coach is like, Sharon, you bring a book to the game. Like I would like be on the bench reading in between innings. And she's like, you got to go back to school. And um, just to shut her up, she's like, I'll make a deal with you. I'll pay, I'll pay for you to take one class at the local community college. That's amazing. And just to, sh literally just to shut her up, I'm like, okay, I'm taking one class. Because I figure I'll go, I fail. That'll be the end of it. That'll be the end of it. Wow. So she did. She she uh, paid for a class at uh, Prairie State College out in Chicago Heights, and I enrolled in American Lit class. And I can remember like yesterday walking in the classroom, and it was uh, a black woman professor, and I don't know her name, no idea what her name was. She's I just remember her being tall, and she had this dress was like flowing to the ground, and she was walking like my mother in that pose with her hands behind her back as we all came into the classroom on the first day. And she was quoting this poem. She had her eyes closed and she was just pacing back and forth with her eyes closed, quoting this poem. It turned out to be William Cullen Bryant's Thanatopsis, which is essentially all about seizing the day. Wow. And I sat in the chair and I watched her and I was mesmerized. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm <laughs> going to be, I'm going to do, I'm going to be a professor. And literally from that point on, I went nonstop. I got my AA, my BA, my MA, my PhD. And it's really because of this lady who doesn't know me from Adam. I don't even remember her name, but she absolutely changed my life. So she's one of my heroes. Wow. Then uh, the other hero is absolutely James Baldwin. Um, really? That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, you know, I, I certainly wasn't taught um, him in school, uh, like sort of uh, K through 12. And I didn't even really have him in my BA. But I discovered him in a library, I'm sure, randomly pulling books off the shelf. And um, it was The Fire Next Time. And I read that book over and over and over. And I just fell in love with most, like, initially, I didn't understand most of what he was saying. Like, I, like my brain wasn't sophisticated enough, really, to, like, grasp it all. But I do remember that the language was beautiful. And I would read, like, a paragraph and realize that an entire paragraph was one sentence that was incredible 
and it had these digressions that led to this and led to that and somehow it all works and it just blew my mind and um it's an unfortunate thing because i i find myself writing ridiculously long sentences um <laughs> not nearly as well as james Baldwin, obviously but um like he he is just like he speaks to my soul uh he definitely speaks to my writerly mind and um yeah, he much of how I write, uh, I think even how I think is has been impacted by um, all the things that I read by him. So James Baldwin um, and this anonymous professor who changed my life. I something that uh, sticks out to me about both of those is that people were just being and like doing what they loved, and that was inspiring. And I, um, you know, I, there there isn't a lot that I. Um, that I took with me for my ultra conservative um, every, you know, not, no, no, no offense, but that's just, not, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, but um, there was one poem I remember from, it was a book called my utmost for his highest. And it was like, mm -hmm. it was just this thing about lilies. Um, and it was how like um, the lilies of the Valley, like uh, inspired just because they are, I mean, I'm, I'm bastardizing it, but it's right. uh, and that really resonated with me at that age. And I didn't know why. And now I think that's what it is. It's like, man, like when you're living, that open, this is what I love life. Right. Um, no labels. Uh, right. I feel like oftentimes that's the most impactful. Like when I think of my heroes, it's the same. Um, so tell me, tell me, give me, give me, give me at least one. Oh, you know, I, <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. I, you know, my, my partner's one, um, they, uh, they just like do what they love and, yeah. and really commit to it. And that's something that's helped me grow a lot. Like, and, um, and it's been hard for me because I always want to like, I, I tend to taskmaster once I find something I love. And I'm like, how do I like keep going with it? Wait, wait, um, wait. You know, yeah. I'm on that train. And so that's been, <laughs> that's been very helpful. Yeah. I really like uh, the artist Amanda Palmer um, okay. because again, like she just makes things that she loves. Uh, and I think it's very inspiring. Um, and uh and also she's independent and that was a big deal. Also, this is going to sound like maybe a silly, but I love everybody involved in the TV show Xena Warrior Princess um, because <laughs> that story saved my life as a kid because I, I know you mentioned too, like growing up bisexuals, like I don't know what's going on. And that yeah. representation of a woman being strong and having relationships with all genders on screen was Very just, true. there were trans relationships in that yes, show. Yes. And it was the cheesiest sci-fi show. And it is but and that, brilliant. It, brilliant. Yeah. And um, I feel the same. There's an animation called One Piece. And, and right. it's just, what, oh, it's great. It's um, it's about a plucky pirate who eats a fruit that makes him rubber. And uh, he pirate. makes, right? And he, <laughs> and he makes friends as he crosses the ocean. But it's really just about being true to yourself and finding freedom and friends and like friends becoming family. And it's just, to me, I when I when I'm in that, my heart needs something space, it fills it. And the, and I, that's, I think, why I like telling stories is because I need them. And so yeah. then you get to be a part of it. Right. Um, in terms right. of, in terms of the, because I, I didn't answer the mental health side. Please. This person is not connected at all with mental health necessarily, but um, the poetry of uh, Walt Whitman, in particularly, in yeah. particular, Leaves of Grass. Uh, I love that book. Um, I'm one of those English nerds that had a, a little small volume that would, I would carry in my back pocket so that I could pull it out and randomly turn to a line. But um, 
you, you can't see on my arms because I you know I have on the sweater, but um, I have uh, a line from uh, from Song of Myself tattooed on me, and it is um, all goes onward and outward, and nothing collapses. And yeah. those lines, th those lines really like buoyed me after my partner's death in a way that I. Um, I literally don't have sufficient words to explain like how important they were because um, when she died, you know, my, I'm not a religious person at all. And although I think in my older, my older self is getting more like sort of spiritual, that's yeah. like, sort of never been me. And, um, you know, I, I was lost and I, and I, I was for sure leaving after she was gone. And then, you know, I, I went back and I was revisiting lots of things, but one of them leaves of grass and came across those lines again. And it brought me such comfort in a way to, to think of, to think about life as energy hmm. and that, you know, you know, cause this section of the long uh, epic poem is all about like, you know, look for me underneath your boot soles, right? That, I, that I'm that i in the grass that you walk on. And it brought me great comfort to think like, and I made up this whole thing. I have a whole story and I still, I still stick to it that she became a little sapling. Um, I can't even explain to you where the tree part came from, but her mother had passed away tragically when she was young. And, and in my head, I made up this whole thing about her mom, the like elder tree teaching the sapling how to like deal with the wind because Pam hated the wind and, <laughs> and I love the wind. And so yeah. I ended her being this little sapling and there were saplings in mature trees where I was staying uh, for the, for the time that I came back to Las Vegas to help wrap up the affairs. And I would just sit for hours and stare at this tree and stare at the sapling next to it and think that it was Pam and her mom in conversation. Um, so leaves of grass, and like helping me to to think of, you know, Pam existing as pure energy or existing in the universe in a different way was really, really powerful and important to me. That's so moving. I uh, I resonate with trees in the afterlife. Do you know the, the it, I think it's in Metamorphosis, but it's the story of two, two lovers and the gods come and visit them, but they don't know their gods. And then they treat them really well. And the gods are like, you can have a wish now. Uh, and so they're like, you know, we think that what we'd like more than anything is when we die to be able to go together. And then when it's their time, they both become trees. So oh, wait a minute, I gotta wait a minute. You gotta yeah, find I'll find it. I'll, yeah, but I, I, I found that comforting too. As I've lost friends to suicide, I was like, maybe you know, we all become trees, and and yeah. it really helps me too. Um, and so I'll, uh, I'll definitely send you yes, that story. But yeah, it's that's yeah. so moving, and I. Uh, yeah, maybe, well, and especially if it's out there for both, maybe we all yeah. become trees, you know? We all become trees. Yeah. And, you know, there's worse things for sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'd I'm in. Let's be trees. <laughs> I'll be a sequoia. I could be a sequoia. You're definitely a sequoia. <laughs> that is very cool. Yeah, like strong, tall, very noble. Yeah, 100%. Um, very multi-generational. There's like a, there's a lot of depth to a sequoia. A lot of depth to the sequoia. Yeah. Um, well, we're, we're coming up on time. Is there anything else that you would like? I, I do want to um, share Contextos' um, network, if you would mind to share 
um, that on like the screen, just so folks can see it later, perhaps the, the website for Contextos. Yes. How do, how do I type into the check? Go to the... Oh, if, the private I think I already put it in there. So I think oh, okay. it should be... Yeah. yeah. If you if you're yeah. interested at all in uh, in what's uh, happening with Contextos or if I sparked your interest um, in talking about what we do, um, just uh, join us at contextos.org. Um, we are actually having a, an online art auction uh, that will go live uh, November 2nd. And it runs until the 12th of November. And we're going to open up our new space. We just moved into a new building. So it's it's literally like we're in there and we're like, you know, we're baking the cake. Uh, we're eating the cake and baking it all at the same time. It's all happening at the same time. <laughs> um, but we're setting up part of the space as a gallery that will be open to the public to come in um, to see the art um, that, uh, that you can then uh, bid on. Uh, so check out the sites, uh, lots of information about what we're doing, the spaces that we're in, the programs that we have. Um, that'd be really cool. Thank and you thank so much. You, thanks for giving me <laughs> the opportunity to shout that out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you're like, you know, I really wish I would have shared A, B, or C or anything else you'd like to say? Um, you know, uh, two things. One is to thank you. Um, thank you so much for, for thinking all kinds of levels. Thank you, uh, Kate. Like, it's it's been a real... Um, it's been a real addition uh, to my life to have you in my orbit. So I'm just, uh, I feel very grateful that um, somehow you wound up finding Contextos and we had an opportunity to get to know one another. And then I want to thank you for thinking of me um, uh, as a guest on the podcast. And also um, it's really moving, frankly, to have somebody on the outside think of me as a creative. So um, thank you all the way around. And then just in terms of, uh, in terms of the topic and mental health, um, I, I will say only that, you know, we are all precious to somebody and, uh, you know, some days are hard and when they are to try to remember that there's somebody in the world that wants you, wants you there and to reach out, even though it seems impossible to do. Um, and sometimes reaching out doesn't look like stretching your arm completely. But people who know you, um, if you shrug, they'll know. So reach out if you can when you're having a tough time. Uh, and thank you for uh, allowing me to like to share whatever's in my head uh, with folks. Yeah, I thank you. I um, yeah, I just think I think you're such a sequoia to me. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for that. I um, I just want to know there's a lot of uh, comments that have been coming through too that have just been supporting you and shouting out how amazing you are and just showing that other folks view you the same way I do, which is just like really inspiring and That's very cool. And, and, and uh, so I should say thank you all for like taking time to like be on this, uh, be on Twitch um, and listen to Kate and I talk. It's, it's been yeah. a real pleasure and, and I appreciate all the, you know, all the love and support uh, in the chat. So thank you all very much. Yeah. Here, here. See you an open circle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I do just, I, I always like to close with a, just like the same way we open with a breathing exercise, totally right. optional. Um, for this one, it's a little shorter and I just, if, if it feels comfortable to just like take up a little bit of space, maybe stretch out legs or open up arms. If that doesn't feel so good on the shoulders, you can just let the hands go down, palms face away. Um, and just taking a moment to take up space and be big when so often we're asked to be little and taking just a moment to acknowledge that, um, 
no matter how you feel when you leave tonight, um, you took time to, to do this and to, to either be here for yourself or be here for a friend, perhaps me. Thank you. <laughs> that's you. Um, but that's amazing. And that's really hard and, and enough. Um, I'll just optional to, to join me in three really deep breaths. So taking a big breath in, letting the chest expand, the ribs, the belly. And then when you feel like you can't inhale anymore, take another little sip and just hold it for a second. And then do an open mouth. <sighs> I can even make some noise if you like. <sighs> Option to do two more of those if it feels good. So just a nice slow inhale. Maybe one more little sip. And then <sighs> the last one, nice slow inhale. You can be slower or faster than me. <sighs> one last little sip. And... <sighs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you so great. much, Dr. Moore. <laughs> Thank you, Scott.